Sing the word ready if you're ready. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, we ready, guys? Ladies and gentlemen, make yourselves comfortable. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barton. And this is Mad About Movies. You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. It's showtime. Mad About Movies is a one-hour-long conversation concerning all things cinema. First half of the show, we discuss movie news, movie rumors, and, of course, movie rumblings. And also, we talk about what is currently piquing our interest in Hollywood. Basically, we just have a fun old chat the first half of the show. For the second half of the show, we go over our chosen movie of the week, and we give you guys our review. As an added bonus, please stay tuned to the end of each episode for our weekly recommends, in which we suggest something that you guys need to check out as soon as you can. This week, Brian, we are focusing our efforts on what? The 20th anniversary of Jurassic Park. Dinosaurs and man, two species separated by 65 million years of evolution. How can we possibly have the slightest idea? You feel that? What to expect? Yeah, 20. Wow. Is, has it been 20 years? Honestly? 20 years, man. 20 years. I didn't even think uh, I didn't even think to think why they were releasing it in 3D, so I guess that makes sense. Yep. Cool. Well, yeah, I got a chance to check this one out in the theaters. Brian, you did too, I'm assuming. Yep. Richard? Yep, I did. I No, I haven't. I've never but, seen Jurassic Park. What's it about? Get out of here. You're no, I've seen it's it. Wait, do it, Steven. Get off the mic. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in 3D yet, though, I, so I can't speak to this well, current Brian incarnation. Well, Brian and I are the 3D gurus. I mean, I know you're a 3D guru, <laughs> Brian, so yeah. uh, we'll have fun talking about that. when I die. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we'll have fun talking about that and revisiting an old favorite. Um so yeah, look forward to that. But uh, first, we want to start off with movie news, movie rumors, and movie rumblings. Rumblies. Anything you guys want to mention right off the top? Yeah, I think we should. I guess we should probably get into uh, the the biggest news that that came down the pipes this week, which was very unfortunate, uh, but yep. was the the untimely death of Roger Ebert. Yes, um, very unfortunate. And uh, Brian, you want to go ahead and give us your thoughts. Sure. Um, I wrote a piece about this on my on my blog, but just to I guess just to sum up, I I feel like I feel like Roger Ebert is the reason why uh, we're doing this podcast, and is the reason, at least for me, is the reason why I've spent the last uh, decade writing movie reviews, and and certainly the last three years of just writing movie reviews. Um, he. He, I think, I really believe that he is responsible for opening up my eyes to what uh, to what a movie could be, and 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 to the the concept of of criticism for pop culture stuff. Um, I, I I wrote in my blog that I I probably started watching at the movies when I was twelve or thirteen, yeah. and um, and to that point had had really only engaged in critical thinking as it as it pertains to school or uh, you know faith or life lessons things like that had never really applied a a critical eye uh or understood the importance of of doing so to movies or music or sports or whatever else and catching catching that show with with uh with Ebert and Gene Siskel as well uh really Really made me start to understand the value of film and 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 what makes a film a good film um, as opposed to a bad film. It was one of those moments where you're like, I saw this movie as a 13 year old. You know, I saw this movie and I didn't think it was good, but I don't necessarily know exactly why I feel that way. You know what I mean? And and then you watch that show and it's like, oh, you you start to uh, you start to hone in on the things that they they mentioned that they talked about. Um, and just really opened my eyes to 
to what uh, to what film can be. Um, so he was in a he was a he was a hero in a lot of ways for me, and I think for for a lot of other people, maybe including you two as well. Yeah, totally. Um, great thoughts there, Brian. I I totally agree with you in the fact that I mean he's sort of the reason we're doing this podcast. Um, I think more subconsciously than anything is the reason we're doing it uh, because he's his his way of criticizing films has become such a norm in the way every you know movie review should be uh, mm-hmm. and, and um, I, w- when Steve Jobs passed away a few years ago I I said to myself the ne- I mean the only other person left that has influenced me that much I mean there's two one of them is Roger Ebert, and one of them is Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. And so when Roger Ebert passed away, it was just like devastating to me. Um, horrible, horrible news, obviously. And But it was kind of incredible the way it all happened. I mean, if you saw his last blog post, I mean, he basically wrote out his, his last – what he wanted to be remembered by in his last yeah. blog post – his his website has been completely redone. If you go to RogerEbert.com, it's been completely redesigned, and it has easy access to all his past reviews. and And somebody on YouTube, uh, just a few months ago, actually, I, I went on YouTube and and I was looking for old videos of reviews from from movies like Alien and Blade Runner and old movies that I hadn't seen, you know, their review of Cecil right. and Ebert. And somebody, luckily, had uploaded every single David Letterman, Roger Ebert, and Siskel, Gene Siskel interview from about 1980 till about when Gene Siskel died. Wow. So, so I mean, you can go back and watch those, and it's just incredible to go year by year. I mean, they basically, you know, talk about what their, their favorites and least favorites of the year are. And, man, he just really hammered home the, the timeless power of cinema. Yeah. And, and not that, not only that, but that your opinion matters, you know? Totally. I mean, the guy, the guy, basically, it was his opinion on everything, but it was taken like, um, he, he, he showed that film has better, more qualities than just going to the movies and just something to get away and do something. I mean, these, this has artistic, you know, artistic yeah. qualities to it. And um, he really, yeah, he really was a groundbreaker. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Well, and he's one of the, he's one of the first as well that, and I think there's a lot more now, but but at least when he he really got popular, he was, to my knowledge, he he was the only one that was very popular that wrote from a fan, almost from a fan standpoint. Yeah, he he wrote it and he wrote his reviews. He loved movies and um and he wrote his reviews in such a way that were that was accessible to a 12 year old or or a 30 year old or whatever, just the average person rather than right. You know, I felt like as a kid, you know, when I discovered Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, you know, then after that, I started looking at other people's reviews and was quickly turned away by most of them because they don't like the same movies that I did. And and Ebert, you know, for the vast majority of his career was um, was almost an advocate for uh, for movies that regular people like. And uh, and I think that obviously that was a big part of his appeal, but I, that is I think that the the critical uh, community could take a page out of his book on that front, and it has have gotten more and more that direction. But um, but Ebert was definitely the uh, the trailblazer on that. Richard, well, uh, you know, there, there's a lot to be said. Uh, regarding his critical talents and his, his absolute enthusiasm for, for, um, for film. And that's all important and should be said. I'll, I'll try to focus on uh, some slightly different aspects of him that I, I really admired his, his strong humanist streak his really, his atmosphere and, and attitude of complete kindness, mm-hmm. um, which is something to be really admired. He was, he was always kind. And that's the first word you hear uh, when anyone says what a kind human being he was, without a mean bone in his body, which is as is quite, uh, I would believe, unique for someone whose whose job it is to be critical. Um, I don't think enough time is being spent, really, on how inf- influential that show is that at the movie show. Yeah. yeah. That that with the McLaughlin 
group was like those are kind of the first two shows people saw where people were just having a discussion. It wasn't a newscast. It wasn't mm-hmm. anything fictional. You know, this is a show that paved the way for shows like PTI and right. shows like the sports reporters and around the horn on the sports sphere or, you know, the myriad of, of entertainment panel shows, um, you know, the Chelsea Lately's, the, uh, you know, and then the political shows uh, as well, you know, obviously mm-hmm. meet the press predates this quite, quite a bit, but this is a show where really revolutionized, revolutionized the idea that two people talking and arguing, um, could be interesting and is worth, you know, televising. Uh, that's an immensely influential show, not just on film, but uh, on television in general. And that's a really important thing, uh, a really important le- part of, of Roger Ebert's legacy. Um, the last thing I'll say is, and it kind of goes on along with the first thing I'll say, is, you know, what a, a well, actually I have one more thing to say. He's also a really important person in the age of new media. He he mm. is, I think, the he largest more than anyone, literally. Yeah, I mean, he well, was yeah, it, so it active on on Twitter and Facebook. Well, twi- crazy. Twitter was his voice the last yeah. decade of his life because yeah. he was not able to speak, um, and so because of those circumstances, he really adapted more. You know, Roger Ebert at, at his core is a newspaper man, and in an industry completely dominated these days by those who refuse to conform or yeah. those who refuse to adapt. This is somebody who adapted, who had a website really early on, who posted all of his, his uh, online. Uh, all his reviews online who had a web presence through social media as a, you know, 65 year old person had, a, you know, in an industry that refuses is now collapsing because of its refusal to adapt. He was someone that did. And that showed, I think, um, his lack of ego um, and his sort of spirit that, that came through all. And so uh, that being said, I, I sent this to you guys and I, I wrote something and I, I normally wouldn't be so vainglorious to read it, but I'm going to, because the, the thing Roger Ebert loved most in the world other than film was the written word. And, and so I'm going to read this little paragraph I wrote about how I feel about Roger Ebert as kind of a tribute to him. If you guys don't mind. Yeah. Uh, criticism matters and survives because of its inherent deep love of subject. Roger Ebert was precisely the type of critic that understood this criticism, especially in the age of the internet has become syn- synonymous with the pouring art and tearing it down, making room for the very term to criticize. But this should never be the case. The best criticism makes art better, not just, not just in the long term, but in the short as well. Roger Ebert, through his influence, charm, and wit, made movies better. And I argue, just as importantly, made people like us better too. Even in the rather silly form of this podcast, we are influenced by Roger Ebert, by the tradition of criticism and enthusiasm he cared nobly throughout in his life and career. And we are much the better for it. Roger Ebert, 1942 through 2013. And uh, what what a uh, what a life, you know, a life, you know, it's a good sign. I, I don't want to be too mirthful here, but it is it is a true a good sign uh, when you die at, at 70 years of old, years old and everyone is saying he died so young. It was too yeah. soon. Uh, it means you lived a life that mattered to a lot of people and that 70 years was not enough. I feel like if I croak tomorrow, people would be like, hey, you had a good run. You know, 26, <laughs> appropriate for Richard, you know, 26 years, not not a year too short, not a year too long. But for Roger Ebert, uh, 70 years was not enough. And luckily we have all of his work uh, to, to keep with us. It's just so crazy to me that that his last writing, I mean, his last basically words to to everyone was – on this day of reflection, I say again, thank you for going on this journey with me. I'll see you at the movies. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's ex- exactly, I mean, every, everything, you know, this guy, like he means the world to, to a lot of people and it's, it's horrible. Honestly, it may, it hurts me to talk about it. Um, yeah. you know, um, I don't think, you know, I said Steve Jobs, but I don't, I don't think Steve Jobs even had as much influence on me as Roger Ebert, you know, Mm -hmm. in all honesty about, like I said before, having an opinion and the fact that that opinion can matter and it can, you can make a living off what you think and being yourself. You know what I mean? Um, and he was always, uh, Siskel and Ebert had such a great vibe. I don't, you know, I think that's half of it was, was not only that, that they're having intellectual conversations about movies. It was that, you know, these personalities clashed, but mm-hmm. you could tell that they loved each other like brothers, you know, that they, yeah. they, they, it was like watching, you know, brothers fight, but, um, it was, it was just so classic and, 
And well, and it was it was legitimate too. I think that's yeah. one of the things that's that always set at the movies apart from the other debate and talking head type shows that have that have come come after it. Uh, there was no bit involved, you know. If they were fighting, if yeah. they took opposite ends of the thumbs up or thumbs down, it was because both of them legitimately felt like this is a good movie or this is a bad movie, and here is why. And and so the debate was always so so real. And and just like what you said, Kent, it it did seem like two brothers because <laughs> because they were really going after it. It's it's what separates that show from. Something like ESPN's first take, where just you know Skip Bayless is doing a bit with whatever opinion that he's taking. Um, there was no bit involved; they were legit about what they were what they were arguing, um, and it was it was fascinating to watch um, from the you know from the time I discovered it until Siskel died, and even to play off what Richard said a moment ago of how important that uh, the show was um, beyond just the. Uh, this, the type of programming that it it spawned um, for me personally, I almost always took my cue of who I listened to in the critical spectrum from that show. It was always Ebert, and then he added Roper after uh, after uh, Siskel died, and I enjoyed I enjoyed Richard Roper for a while. Um, yeah. And uh, after Roper left, and the show kind of bounced around, he Ebert brought in a, a handful of of uh of critics like Chrissy Lemire and AO Scott, uh Robert Wolonski, all these various people and um kind of pointed the way as to who I should be listening to either because I agree with them most of the time or because I so vehemently disagree that I need to, you know, voice that opinion as well. Um he he really him and his show set the set the standard on on what uh what good criticism was from you know not just during its heyday with with uh Siskel but but beyond even when it wasn't quite drawing the uh the viewership that it did before right i the di- going on the dynamic that the Siskel and Ebert had it's just going back and watch i encourage you to do it go back and watch those letterman um interviews mm-hmm. cuz i mean it's almost as if as if uh Siskel was the voice of the critics, you know, the, this is what the movie critics should think, but Roger Ebert's voice was, this is what the fans think. And this is what you should think about it. Do you know what I mean? It was like, you always got those, those two, those two perspectives. And even on, on some of those movies, you know, it seems like it it always seemed like Roger Ebert was giving his opinion casually. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and, You'll see it when you go back and watch him. Roger Ebert, like Dave will ask, so how'd you like uh, Braveheart? And, you know, Ebert will be like, oh, it was really fun. It was a really great, you know, great film. And then, you know, here Siskel would give his, you know, I thought for the the budget and the way it was shot and for (laughs) Mel Gibson being a first-time director, you know, and giving it, you know, his opinion. So it was just a perfect dynamic. And um, it, it was horrible that, you know, they, they, they both ended in such tragic, you know, such tragic way. Um, yeah. Because I mean, they deserve the best, you know. Yeah. And um, Roger Ebert will be, he'll go down as number one of all time. I, I don't think oh, there's yeah. any question yeah. as far as movie movie critics, movie journalists goes. Um, who's I mean, out there is like you said, Richard Roper. He's he's pretty prominent. Uh, Leonard Maltin, I would say, is maybe the next. The next biggest yeah. one out there uh, is yeah. Um, who's the guy from the Today Show? Gene Shalit. Shalit. <laughs> but Shalit and even Malton to a degree are they are kind of a bit at this point. They yeah. they're, and they're oh they are, but I'm saying they're like as far as recognizable movie critics go. Right, maybe Peter right. Travers is getting up there. Yeah, for Rolling Stone, but um, he was more than movie critic. I mean, he was. He was almost like people look to him for advice on other things, on just life in general. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, here's a guy, you know, he knows about life. He knows about cinema. He knew what he was talking about. Here's a guy that saw over 300 films a year for over 50 years. So, I mean, yeah, yeah I would love, I would have loved to sit down and just have a conversation with the guy. Sure. Um, well, and like Richard said, he, he, uh, one of the, the best things about him was how, 
how kind and how uh, gracious he was towards the his audience. And I, I can't tell you how many I having having written uh, movie reviews and whatnot for three years and being a part of that that blogging community. I can't tell you how many people I saw over the last, uh, you know, when this news came down over the last week that uh, wrote about or tweeted about an encounter that they had with with Ebert, either uh, usually on, you know, online, but occasionally in person as well. Um, and just how great he was to them and how uh, he over and over the recurring theme was was uh, Ebert just saying to these people, random people that, you know, that write movie reviews on the internet, either encouraging them of, man, your work is really good, keep it up. Or if there's anything I can do to help you in your, your pursuit of, of, of writing career or knowledge of, of film or whatever, um, I I'm happy to do it. And he meant it, you know, there was a great article on Deadspin of all places, uh, written about, uh, about Ebert and the way that he, uh, helped younger, younger film critics. And it was a, it's, it's an excellent read. Um, but that was just a a thing that kept popping up over and over and over again throughout this week of just how he was an ambassador to, and he took that seriously to the, uh, the film critic, whether they were professional or as most, especially, uh, amateurs like, like myself and like, you know, all, all three of us. So, Richard. It really is a tough day. I mean, <laughs> yeah, totally. Richard, any more thoughts on, on Roger Ebert? Uh, no, I'm I'm all set. Uh, I'm a great man. He'll be he he'll be missed, and uh, I'm very thankful that I got to live on the planet at the same time as him. Yep, absolutely, definitely. Well, uh, yeah, Roger, we'll uh, we'll see you at the movies. That's for sure. Um, you guys want to move on and talk about? Hey, man, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Jurassic Park. Let's do it. Hold on to your butts. All major theme parks have problems. But John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the Pirates don't eat the tourists. Man, let's talk about this just in general terms. What I'll talk about first. Um, This movie, going back and thinking about it and revisiting this film, is, is something that I do almost every year. Um... And it never really gets old. I mean, this yeah. this is such this is such an incredible film for me. Uh, influential, talk about influential stuff. Influential movie for me. It. I don't even. It might be my favorite movie of all time. Honestly. All it, right. J- j- Star Star Wars: um, A New Hope and this. I mean, I, I I could spend honestly the rest of my life arguing with myself about which one I like more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. It's it's they're. They're they're tied neck and neck, but um, man, this movie is so great in so many ways. I going back and seeing this on the big screen just I mean made me feel like a kid again, and it, it really needs to be seen on the big screen. I mean I've been watching it for whatever twenty years on the small screen, and it's great. But I mean see, nothing like nothing quite like seeing it on the big screen. Um, Richard, thoughts on Jurassic Park? Uh, you know I'm uh. It's a movie that uh, is neat because, you know, we grew up with parents and, and older brothers and things like that that, you know, got to be around at Star Wars or Jaws or these sort of uh, cultural landmarks. And I, I, I'm kind of of that age where I was a kid with Jurassic Park. And uh, I was similarly obsessed like all my other comrades in my 
kindergarten and first grade and and second third grade classrooms about, about dinosaurs and this was a movie that just really brought all that to life i mean it, it made uh it made our dreams come true what it would be like to live with the dinosaurs i i still just assume that it's historically based and that uh, <laughs> the the government you know uh hid the story but uh you know just such a uh you know it's it's jaws i mean it's it's that level of a great blockbuster it's 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 every bit you know steven spielberg's greatest movie along with you know r- more serious works it's just a really masterful uh popcorn movie it's to me the very definition of a blockbuster it's it doesn't rely on movie stars hardly at all i mean who's the biggest name in it i mean jeff goldblum or yeah i mean it's yeah. kind of this fun you know, it's a movie that that they would demand to throw some sort of movie star in now, and and you know the the movie itself is kind of the star. It's it's signature in that way. Totally. Uh, it's a it's a movie I will uh, yeah like with Ken. I mean, it's there's probably movies that I've I've learned to appreciate more as I grow older, but there's there's the, the movies that are more entertaining to me are, are are scant and far between that that I that I just enjoy on a purely uh, visceral level. I, I love, I love that movie. And, uh, I can't, I, unlike you, I've had the pleasure of seeing it again in the theater. I, I remember exactly what theater I saw it in as a kid and who I was with. And it was a seminal moment. So I'm excited to maybe have another uh, experience like that now in my twenties and I'll be drunk this time. Uh, but <laughs> it'll be, uh, no, it'll be, uh, I, I can't wait. Hopefully I'm doing that, uh, this weekend. I want to, I just want to say on one note, Richard, that you said it, as far as Spielberg's best movies, I really kind of agree with you there. Um, it's going to be hard for me to say that it's better movie than, say, E.T. as far as a story goes, you know what I mean? And um, But I really well, feel I'm, like I'm e. not the and, world's biggest E.T. fan, to be yeah. quite honest. So, uh, but I, yeah, I, but I, I, I can, I see, can your, see why. Yeah, no, I mean, E.T.'s, I'm sure, I just, I don't, I appreciate it, I just don't enjoy it on the level that I enjoy this movie. Yeah. Um, It's just exciting and funny, and it's just, it's one of the few that delivers on every possible level. Yeah, I would say that, for me, I would have to choose between Saving Private Ryan, probably, and and Jurassic Park as being Spielberg's maybe best films. And Um, Indiana Jones 4. Um, that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't exist. Um, Jaws definitely has its moments for sure. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jaws, Close Encounters too. I mean, those five. I mean, those are just all masterpieces. So I mean, it's it's pointless to argue about about which one's better. But I would definitely agree that this is his best work. I don't see possibly really how this movie could have been any better than it was. Um, More Sam Neill. I mean, I like the casting. I mean, it just goes to show how great a film this is uh, that nobody had a career after this movie, really. Even I mean, <laughs> yeah. Jeff Goldblum, arguably, but Independence Day after that, I mean, his yeah. career is pretty much over. So um, this movie is incredible, and uh, I can't say that enough. So, Brian, please give us your thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I'm with both of you guys. This is one of those – I. I took uh, I work with kids uh, in my real life, and I I took a, a group of kids to see this movie because I I felt like it was kind of what you said, kid. It's a you know I've got the movie I've had the movie on DVD forever. It was one of the very first DVDs I've ever bought I ever bought, and I bought it on Blu-ray uh, the day that it came out a couple of weeks ago. But it's a movie that uh, it just begs to be seen on the big screen, and because uh, it's just. I remember, just like Richard said, there's a. I, I came out and I thought of five movies from my childhood that I could absolutely remember exactly where I was, who I was with, what I felt while watching the movie, uh, and so forth. And and Jurassic Park was was obviously on that list and was certainly number one. It, that was, it was and also interestingly the only non-porn. Uh, <laughs> right. Top yeah. Five. Yeah. My childhood was was pretty rough. <laughs> uh, we don't need to get into that. No. Um, but no, it was, it was a – I remember seeing promos for Jurassic Park as a – I was 10 when it came out. Uh, so probably when I was about nine, you started seeing promos. I read the book in advance of seeing the movie um, and, and my parents took me to see it and it was just – it was literally the most magical moment of my 
of my childhood. And I, I hearken back on that anytime I see a movie that makes me feel like a kid again or makes me makes me uh, quote unquote remember the magic of of mu- of uh, movies. Um, I, I think back to Jurassic Park and how that was almost a life altering experience. Um, and it was just so cool to be able to experience that again 20 years later um, and and take you know some of these kids that that I work with to, to see it as well and let them have that experience for the first time. Um, it's an incredible movie. It's it's one of it is certainly in my top ten favorite movies of all time, um, and I'm with you guys. I obviously a movie like Schindler's List or Saving Private Ryan has more traditional cinematic value, I guess, than than Jurassic Park or Jaws or or ET or one of those, but or Raiders. Um, but for what it is and for what it tried to accomplish, I don't. I mean, who, whichever one of y'all said it, you cannot do any better than Jurassic Park from okay. a from a popcorn. Thanks, Kent. From a popcorn blockbuster level, it it literally it doesn't get any better than this. And um and it was it's just so cool. I I I don't really love the 3D bit, and we we can talk about that in a second. I don't love 3D. But if there's one good thing about 3D, it's that we are getting some of these classic movies re-released again, so that people who who didn't get to experience them back then can uh, can do that now, um, like I did this this yeah. week. So I gotta say, I think from every review I've I've read on this on this version of Jurassic Park, they everyone has said that this is the best 3D conversion that's ever been done. And I don't know if I disagree with that. I thought it was gorgeous. It a lot of it looked like I mean looked like it was meant to be in 3D. I mean, if the cinematography is great, which I mean obviously it was for Jurassic Park, um, and certain scenes like like the Baronosaurus, you know, where they're looking up at it, and yes. just the working with depth there is just incredible. And um, I love you know the shots of the cars on the track; those look great in 3D and. There a lot of it. I mean, and when the raptor jumps, you know, through the vent or whatever. Yeah, those gags work really almost as eerily well um, with 3D. Um, this going back and um, and watching this in the theater, you really you really notice stuff that you that you didn't notice before. Uh, Brian, was there anything that you really loved about this this most recent screening that you that you didn't really? Um, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I I had forgotten because I've watched it so many times. Um, this was a movie that, you know, when after it came out, this was one of the few movies that my parents that we actually bought on VHS because we had so many movies that were just taped off of off of TV. Um, but as soon as that one was available on VHS, we bought it. And for one summer, I don't remember how old I was now, but for one summer, my brother, who's four years younger than me. He watched it every single day. And so we watched it. I mean, to the point of where I, I went through about a two or three year period where I kind of hated the movie because I'd just seen it so many times. But, um, but because I have seen it so many times, I've forgotten about how great the, the jump out of your seat moments are uh, in the, within the movie. And, and, and again, how scary this movie yes, is. Yes, it is. It's, you know, I, I took all these kids to see it and they're all like, sixth to eighth grade you know and you know it's some as the opening scene rolled i'd forgotten about the opening scene of this guy getting eaten by a raptor and i start had to think to myself real quick of crap is this appropriate for kids to be at you know because i just couldn't it had been a while since i uh had seen it in that context um but but watching all the all the the kids jump um when the uh when the raptor comes out from behind ellie uh laura dern's character in the shed, um, and just pops We're out. I mean, business. Yeah. Yeah. They freaked out. Every single one of them just freaked out. And, uh, and I got a good, I got a kick out of that, but you know, I've seen it so many times that you kind of forget how, how terrifying some of those scenes are, uh, and how, how very well put together they are to, to where they, you know, to the point that they can be so horrifying, but not, um, not make you want, you can't turn away. Uh, you you can't get so scared that you that you have to turn away. You have to keep your eyes fixated on the screen. But it's just uh, it's a terrifying sensation for anybody, especially if you haven't seen it before or haven't seen it in a, in a long time. 
Um, but yeah, the the scene you mentioned can, when they when they first get to the island and and Doctor Grant uh, and they see the first the first dinosaur yeah. is and the that. score plays up. And it's, I don't I don't think that moment can be understated enough as being a ground. You know, you see that you see that that scene everywhere when people show just clips of Jurassic Park. But I don't think there's a bigger scene that had more influence on the cinema we're seeing today than maybe that scene. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, yeah. At that moment, everything was possible in in cinema. You know what I mean? Oh well, we we brought back dinosaurs from 50 million years ago. What I mean? So now basically anything we think of, we can do it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, what were you going to say about it? So well, visually. I mean, it's just such a. Uh, it is. You're exactly right. It is that that scene is kind of an announcement to the world of, <laughs> look, we're about to do something incredibly special here. Um, and one of the things this has been touched on by a lot of media outlets uh, throughout this last week since since uh, the 3D version debuted, but um, there. This a this movie holds up incredibly well from a visual standpoint, from a special totally. effects standpoint, and part of the reason is because Spielberg blended CGI better than I think better than any. This movie has the best blend of CGI and real yeah. uh, shots than any movie ever, um, totally. and it just goes together so perfectly. So everything holds up because they did anything that they could do with practical effects, they did, um, and so that. That shows through now because it's 20 years later. CGI from 20 years ago should not look good at this point, and it does. It looks perfect. It looks like it could have been made yesterday because, again, they did everything that they could to not rely on CGI but to just use it in those moments when they couldn't do it otherwise. Um, And then I'm sure spent billions and billions of dollars to get the best CGI that money can can buy. but man, when the T Rex shows up for the first time and 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 breaks through the fence. just a second, just a second. I wanna, yeah, I just want to talk about the premise of this movie. Um, going back and watching it multiple times, it never gets old. The setup of the movie, the you know the of Doctor Hammond going in recruiting you know Laura Dern and Sam Neill and him flying him to the island and them coming off and him telling him about the island and like everything that's non dinosaur ish is incredible in the first. I mean, you're I was so engaged in this movie, especially seeing it in the theater again. Even at the at the moments like when they're at the dinner scene and and Ian Malcolm, Jeff Goldblum's character, is talking about, you know, playing God yeah. and controlling genetics and this the screenplay of this movie is so great. I don't think I don't think that gets said enough, but I really do yeah. think it is. It's, and it has it has great Honestly, it has great material to draw off of. Um, I don't know if either of y'all have ever, have ever read the book, but I I was a huge as a as a child and as a teenager as a huge Michael Crichton fan because of Jurassic Park and then the books that I read afterwards. I think Crichton gets kind of a bad rap um, because so many of his books were written basically like they were first drafts for a screenplay in a lot of ways. I mean, he wrote books for, to become movies rather than just write the book and see what happens with the movie, you know, uh, as far as that goes. Um, and so he gets crap for that, but Jurassic Park is an incredibly well-written book and the story is phenomenal. Um, and, and you're very rarely going to see a book and a film adaptation, uh, as far as the script, at least the script and a book that work so well hand in hand as as the as Crichton's book and and the uh, and the script do. Um, Richard, it had, are you Richard? Are you a fan of Crichton's work? Uh, honestly, I'll, I'll be honest. I've never I've never read him, um, but I've heard. Uh, I, I'm not a mystery and thriller guy at all, um, but I think people that are kind of plugged into that world uh, are greatly. He's greatly respected. I think, especially um, now that he's no longer with us. I think his work. Now is it being being evaluated appropriately as something sure. else, uh, kind of slightly more evolved than what a lot of people were doing within that genre. I don't happen to read that genre. It's it, which is you know willfully willfully ignorant on my on my behalf. I, I fully admit that. Uh, but uh, I think his his stock is is certainly I think rising. Uh, you know post mortem. Totally. I let's talk Brian and Richard about the T Rex sequence. Um, <laughs> first, one thing I want to say before that is. This movie is so 
Steven Spielberg. I mean, this mm-hmm. only Steven Spielberg could have made this film. For yeah. examples like um, when they finally, I mean, thirty or forty minutes into the film, when they finally get on the on the cars and start going into the actual park, uh, the audience, you, you really feel like you're on that ride with them. You really feel yeah. like you're on an amusement ride. And when the first little exhibit that they stop at is the the Dilophosaurus. Um, the Dilophosaurus cage and the cars stop and you feel like you're in the car and you're looking out and waiting for the dinosaur to come. But Steven Spielberg doesn't give you that, you know, there's no dinosaur. It doesn't show up. And so you're left with that disappointment, just like the people in the film, like, Oh, we wanted to see that so bad. And just like the characters in the film, the first time you meet these dinosaurs is when there's a T-Rex in your face. You know, yeah, um, it's done so effectively. Like if you would have spoiled any, I mean, all you got really was a a brontosaurus, which he chose to. It just that's a Spielberg thing, choosing to introduce this technology really to the world with a brontosaurus. You know, yeah, um, and then he gives you a sick triceratops, right? And that's you. an incredible scene, by the way. Yeah. Like that was that was a scene that I had. I mean, I knew it was in there, but I hadn't. I'd forgotten. But just like what you're saying about how how Spielberg is is putting the audience into the shoes of the the characters, um, that whole scene of them getting to to touch and interact with the, with the dinosaur for, really for the first time uh, is an incredible sequence that it I'd is. forgotten about. How good that that scene is! It gets swallowed up because there's 30 other great uh, shots and, and great sequences throughout the movie, but uh, but that one is 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 definitely in that that conversation for one of the better sequences of the movie. Let's talk about the T-Rex sequence. So um, I just love the fact that, I mean, you're on this ride with the people, and, they, and then, you know, Dr. Grant and Dr. Sattler get out, and they go try this Triceratops, and you're you're thinking, get back to the car, get back to the car the yeah. whole time. You know, you're kind of worried that they're breaking the rules and all this stuff, you know? But yeah. It's just a, it's just a movie, but... Um, so they get back to the car and they, um, the car stops and the, the, the hurricane comes, the perfectly timed hurricane. I mean, this movie is written so well. I mean, it's so believable it's so unbelievable, but it's so believable at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And, um, talk, Brian, talk about that, about that scene, the, where we meet the D-Rex. It's, uh, man, you know, as a kid, it's, it's just what I talked about earlier of you're kind of terrified and you, you, part of you wants to, to turn away, but you can't because it's so fascinating at the same time. Um, the design of the T-Rex is incredible. That's something that, uh, I've seen mentioned around the, the, the internet this week of just how, how incredibly well crafted the, the creature itself is, um, the way that they scale it next to it, or in contrast to the uh, the Ford Explorers that they're all that yeah. they're riding in is really cool. Um, the way that the T Rex interacts with with the Explorers with the, with the cars is something that I'd kind of forgotten about. I mean, he he bumps it like a like a dog with a you know a toy that he doesn't know what it is. Um, is fascinating. But when the T when the when the T Rex starts. Uh, starts with the howling and whatnot and the the uh the noise that emanates is is bone uh bone shattering and it's just such an incredible uh incredible shot the the uh the way it's pieced together is just it's phenomenal i mean it really is it is one of those scenes that i remember and think about on a you know anytime i'm thinking about blockbuster movies any any kind of great shot or sequence i i compare uh, the introduction of the T-Rex to anything else that I see that, that, uh, that I consider to be good or great. Um, and man, seeing it again for the first time in the theater in, in 20 years was just, was just such a treat and such a cool thing to be reminded of, of how, gosh, just how great that movie is. It's, it, if you didn't, if you're watching the movie now and you're not, and you're not into it and then that scene pops up, then it's like a jolt into, gosh, this is such a great movie. Yeah, I particularly in that scene, I love, love, I mean, the iconic shot of them laying back in the in the Explorer and the T-Rex busting through the top of the Explorer and the piece of glass separating them from the T-Rex. 
right? Uh, kind of like a bubble over them, you know. Yep. And that's just so so genius. Um, that was something that Spielberg thought of while he was thinking of the movie, just something that would look cool, you know. And yeah. so he had built these Ford Explorers with glass roofs just for that scene, and and it, the way it works is so great. Just like the the water ripple, you know, yep. that was something that Spielberg had thought of. Um, just randomly. I mean, those little touches that, that are Spielberg are all over this film. And like I said, only he could have made this, you know, yep. it, it's I really totally reminiscent agree. of Jaws where you don't see Jaws for the first half of the film, you know, uh huh. it's like, you yeah. don't see the T-Rex here. Um, and like you said, the special effects got so good by the end of the film, the T-Rex technology had gotten so well crafted that Spielberg changed the ending at the last minute. And decided and the original ending uh, was supposed to be um, they're fighting the raptors inside the inside the museum, and basically the dinosaur bones fall off the wires and crush the raptors, and that's the end of the end of the film. Kind of like you know their their extinction um, kind of selected them, and they're to still be extinct. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, but Spielberg, they were they loved the T Rex so much. They're like. We gotta have the T Rex come back. Yeah. So they had to call IGN or um, ILM and say, "Hey, we want to have the T Rex. Can we do it in this short amount of time?" They're like, "Yeah, we know how to do it now." So I mean, we wouldn't have even gotten the the T Rex at the end if it wasn't for it wasn't for CGI. And that's one of the most iconic shots too, when the banner is <laughs> yeah. falling down. Right. Right. T Rex gives his little King Kong roar. You know. <laughs> right. Uh, and I. I just want to say before we wrap it up for unless you guys want to want to say any anything else about the movie. Did you mention the score and how incredible I, the score I wanted, is? Yeah, I wanted that's what I was going to say. Right. I wanted to mention John Williams' score. This is John Williams' best score besides Star Wars maybe. And arguably Raiders has some moments, but this this score is just so flawless. Oh, every moment. Yeah. I mean, you 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 can hum so many parts of it and it's instantly recognizable like the the score, the part, the I'm showing the Brontosaurus that kind of soft. And you yep. know when the when the helicopter's flying in and it's giving you the fanfare. Oh, it just yeah. makes you feel. It like gives you goosebumps. Oh, it does yeah. every time. I, I don't think it'll ever get old. It's so so good. Um, but I just wanted to mention that this film. It's so groundbreaking, so such a monumental film in Hollywood and everybody's lives that saw it. I mean, only other film I think maybe would be comparable is is Star Wars. Um, what what other movies could you see like shaping people's lives? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, Lord of it's, the Rings. Yeah, to a degree. For me, it's 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 uh, it's Jurassic Park, it's Star Wars, and it's Jaws. Um, we're, we're three, cause I, I, to this day, I am terrified of the ocean and, yeah. and, and really any water that isn't in my shower, um, because of jaws. <laughs> um, and I'm not exaggerating that by the way, I, I, I will, I don't swim and I'm, I'm terrified because of jaws. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, Star Wars and Jurassic Park, there's, there's nothing like, for me, there's nothing like that and nothing ever, nothing else comes even close. I still, I still, I mean, only one film that I'll mention that comes close. I mean, it's basically the past twenty years. It's Jurassic Park or Avatar. You know, those are the those are it for for big what a blockbuster movie could and should be. Do you know? Well, what I, mean? I mean, Sex in the City. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, That's yeah. a, we can argue about that all day. Right. Guys. Okay. Alvin and the bit. Chipmunks, the Squeak Wolf, is pretty. <laughs> yeah. Pretty incredible. How to lose a guy in ten days, <laughs> and then no. uh, <laughs> you're right, Kate. Um, the difference between those two movies, because and I, I'll just speak completely from personal experience. I walked out of Avatar and gave it an A plus and said this is one of the best movies I've ever seen, and was just completely blown away again by that magic of cinema type thing. Mm-hmm. And I saw it again two weeks later and thought, oh, this is not nearly as good as I thought it was, and it's still. Um, I'm, it's a good movie, um, but I don't think it holds up. I don't think it held up a week after I saw it for the first time, let alone three or four years later. Whereas Jurassic Park, you know, 
this is probably the 50th time that I've watched the movie and I'm still mesmerized by everything that's that's happening. Again, not to say that Avatar is a bad movie. I No, it's, it's, Jurassic Park is a great movie and Avatar is a great theme ride. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it's totally it's I'm t- I'm t- I'm talking from two totally different perspectives, you know sure. what I mean? Like sure. Jurassic Park is that what you can do with practical effects, you know, and CGI yeah. and yeah. Avatar is if you only have CGI, here's what you can do. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's they're 20 years apart, I mean almost. So, um that that's Avatar is the closest thing that has come out since Jurassic Park to a masterpiece of a science fiction epic. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. Those two films stand alone. Do you know what I mean? Name one other movie in the past 20 years that that I mean arguably the Lord of the Rings trilogy is the only other thing. Yeah, that's uh, a different. Yeah, and I think you're it's right. A totally I think different right. thing. I think it's a different type of thing. I I could put Inception in that category on some level, but again, I think that's a diff- That's kind of a different. Uh, it, it, yeah. I guess it's a different category. So maybe I can't put that in the same. Ca- but you know what I mean. I mean think it's, about all the movies in the '90s that came out trying to copycat Jurassic Park. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Godzilla, and even Peter Jurassic Jackson, Park Three. Peter, uh, Peter Jackson even did a King Kong with dinosaurs. You know what I yeah, mean? And yeah. It didn't even come close. So, I mean, this movie is – it could have come out yesterday and been absolutely and been an Oscar contender. You know what yep. I mean? Yeah. And it, just on its CGI alone. So this movie is amazing. I can't wait for the 3D version to come out on Blu-ray. I want to buy it. I want to watch it every day. Um, I love this movie. And hopefully when Jurassic Park 4 comes out, which it is coming out, we can revisit it again and talk yeah. about maybe The Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 too. Definitely. Anything else, guys, for Jurassic Park? That's all I That's got. All I got. Go see the movie. If you haven't seen it in 20 years, now's the time. Go see it again. Go see it in of, theaters. I mean, a lot of it's... people I, I talked to um, that are friends of mine hadn't even seen it at all. So there are I, a lot of people who are seeing it for the first time. And I had two friends that fell into that, book, that, that same uh, boat, and I was just shocked. I can't believe that anybody our age. Uh, I was jealous, honestly. I was like, I yeah, would love that's to true. see this movie in 3D for the first time at the age 20. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, so good. So good. Um, okay, guys, let's move on to weekly recommends, shall we? Sure. Brian, weekly recommend. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I've been, I've been super swamped the last few weeks and, and haven't been able to get out too much, but, uh, and there hasn't been a lot of releases on like uh, new releases for as far as DVD and Blu-rays, um, but one movie that that uh, caught my eye, and I hope I'm not going to take too much flack for this, but uh, is a <laughs> a movie that just came out on Blu-ray uh, is one of my guilty pleasure slash favorite movies, uh, really of all time, and that is that thing you do. Have you guys ever seen this movie? Oh yeah. Talk okay. About it. I Great uh, movie. I don't. Great movie. I hate, good. I'm glad you guys feel this way. I, 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 I feel like more and more people are, are moving in my, my favor as far as this is a really good movie. Um, but I know when I was younger, I, I kind of – if somebody asked me if I liked that, I would have to sheepishly admit, yes, I do, rather than – yeah, I love that movie. It's great. Um, no shame in that. Here's a little trivia for you, Brian. Yeah. That Thing You Do, Tony Kornheiser's all-time favorite movie. Really? So, yeah. So That's that adds hilarious. Some- yeah. That's that's just, I would not some, have guessed that. Uh, yeah. One little bit more trivia, guys. That thing you do, the song, the actual song, uh, written, written by, by Fountains of Wayne. Fountains of Wayne, Wayne who did Stacy's yeah. mom. <laughs> wow. See, I'm learning new things every day. I'm glad I brought this up. This is a uh, this is good stuff. No, I hate musicals, and I don't know if you can really classify this as a straight musical or not, but it's definitely musically inclined. Um, but uh, it, it's it's a movie that I've probably seen a couple dozen times over the years. It's Tom Hanks's directorial debut. The music is um, perfect in that it, it's very catchy. It uh, you really get into it as it goes, and then it gets super old and annoying as it is supposed to. Um, I think that's the exact purpose of 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 the title song is to get old um, to to sim- symbolize what uh, what's happening with on the screen with, with the band. Um, it's very well acted. Steve Zahn uh, and Tom Hanks is great in it as a, in a smaller role. Uh, the reason I brought it up, again, it, it is coming. It just got released on Blu-ray last week. Um, 
Number one, it has incredible cover art, and that is something that, that's that's a a concept that I think is fading fast in the DVD Blu-ray world. I don't. It seems like more often than not, I buy a new Blu-ray and I just I look at the the cover art and think this is garbage. Um, this cover art's incredible, and uh, and number two, there is a super extended cut uh, included on the on the Blu-ray that's like forty-five minutes longer than the original. Um, and I've never seen that cut before, and it's uh, I it's, love it. Yeah, it adds a lot. I saw it for the first time, I think, on HBO. I, okay, I had caught it, and it was like a different movie. I was like, "Why? How have I never really? seen this?" Yeah, because I'd seen it literally fifty times or something, and I'd never seen some of those scenes. Yeah, so. yeah. So I, I, it's a fun watch. If you've never seen it, it's a hundred percent worth your time. Um, and if you have seen it, now's the time to. It, I got it for like nine dollars on Amazon. So I mean, it's it's really cheap um, and definitely worth worth purchasing so great great recommend man um, that's I'm glad you guys rated that's movie. good that makes me I, feel good I, that's an incredible movie um, go see it or go rent it or go I mean, buy it it's, Do all it's, no Larry, it's no Larry Crown but uh, <laughs> I think justifiably it sits right at the foot of, uh, of Larry Crown as and his you know, second best Tom Hanks too like that was one oh, of the yeah. things that I took as I was watching it it was just Gosh, I miss you, Tom. I wish you'd come back and do something worthwhile. Always well, playing Walt Disney, so that's exciting. That's true. Yeah. Are they gonna? So are they gonna do liners in that thing you do, guys? Oh yeah. yeah. So Steve's many. on. Steve's, Steve's on, on is, is a gem if you if you use him correctly. Totally. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, a man in a really nice camper. What's to put our <laughs> song on the radio? <laughs> Give me a pin. I'm signing. <laughs> uh, yeah, good stuff. Great recommend, uh, Richard. Weekly recommend, sir. Well, I'm going to stick with our theme of the week, and uh, you know, we talked about Roger Ebert earlier. I'm going to recommend his memoir, Life Itself. Um, okay. Is a really, I read a lot of memoir, and it's one of my favorites. It's really eloquent. It, it, it brushes on his love of film and also his his life and why he has such a love of film. And if you're familiar with his criticism, uh, I think any fans of his criticism uh, would, would want to read this book. It's a really beautiful, almost poetic memoir. He's, he was a, he, you know, Roger Ebert, something we didn't discuss, could have written about anything. He could have been an art critic or probably a short story writer or a journalist of any type. He could have written about the stock market and made it interesting and, and accessible. Um and he makes his life very accessible in this kind of true and very honest book. So uh, I recommend it highly, and especially with these timely, uh, you know, memoirs. Uh, there's a great Christopher Hitchens line. Christopher Hitchens wrote a memoir uh, a couple years ago before he passed away. He was actually writing it as he was dying of cancer, and he didn't know it. He, he was not undiagnosed. And they said, "You're 60 years old. Isn't this a little too soon to be writing a memoir?" And the Hitch said, uh, this is true, it may be, but it is better than writing it too late. Um, yeah. And so it is, uh, uh, it's interesting to read about someone's life now knowing that that life no longer continues as we know it. So Life Itself by Roger Ebert. Great. I, I've been wanting to check that out, and I have no excuse at this point. So Yeah, same um, here. Brian, have you, have you read that? I haven't. I've read one of his uh, – one or two of his, uh, I guess, anthologies of film reviews, um, but I've never read his his memoir. And I, I too, I'm with you. I, I thought this week I need to I need to get out to to the bookstore and and try to pick one of those up because uh, I. Oh, really they probably won't have it, Brian, but they will have Jules' book of poetry. <laughs> so, guys, well, that's just as good. My hands are small. I'm not kidding. Okay. Can I sent Brian this picture? They're a couple not months yours. Back. They are mine. Okay. I go to. I go to my Barnes and Noble. Yeah, my hands they are my oh man. Um, but I go to the to the bookstore. I go to Barnes and Noble a couple months ago. I sent Brian a picture. I'm looking for a book on a Rimbaud book, right? Him and Verlaine, the most two famous French poets, Verlaine and Rimbaud. They were in love with each other. They toured France. These great romantic poems of French literature. Barnes and Noble does not carry them. The two greatest poems of arguably the 19th century and certainly in France. But what they do carry is four copies of Jewel's poetry book, which has not been relevant since 1996 and is written by Jewel. So <laughs> thanks, America. But, awesome but here's taste. the big question, Richard. Did they have Taboo's autobiography? I don't know, but you do. I do. <laughs> 
Greatest gift I've ever given anybody. Taboo from Black Eyed Peas biography. Richard gave me that when when uh, Borders to, to fill our listeners in when Borders went out of business. Richard was working there, and he uh, he brought me a copy of Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas. His, I, I uh, his autobiography, and I just put it on my shelf at work and just watch as random people come into my office and. And then it, I'm eventually glaze, you know, gaze down at the at the book and just try to figure out what's happening, and it uh, it cracks me up every time. <laughs> have you ever gotten any questions about it? Oh yeah, yeah, three or four times somebody has because I have like the only thing I have in my office now are like <laughs> are like church books, you know, like like yeah. uh, Christian living and religion and and like you know world religions and things like that. Because I had to move all my sports books home, um, and and then I just have taboos autobiography, <laughs> and so people will inevitably, you know, just kind of oh, you got a great selection of books here. Uh, see the screw tape letters and uh, some books on youth <laughs> ministry, and what's uh, what is this? You know, it's, it's uh, it makes for a good conversation starter. What do you good. mean? What is this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. How dare you, sir? So. Okay. Great Can't recommendation, your recommendation uh, Apple Can't or recommendation taboos. of the week? Taboos. Yeah, taboos. Biography. Which is autobiography. Best read in tandem with the Apple D app uh, book <laughs> <Yeah>. of prose. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, t- Kent. What is your recommend of the week? My recommend. I'm going to stay with the theme, two guys, the film criticism theme, and I'm going to go uh, with the documentary. Like Ooh. I, I normally do documentaries, don't I? That's yeah. Kind of yeah. My thing, but um. This is a documentary that I love that I've seen probably four or five times now. It's called The People versus George Lucas. Oh, yeah. Have you seen this, Brian? I have. I have. I watched it for the first time about six months ago. This is a great – if you love Star Wars, um, this is a great movie. Um, basically just dissing George Lucas uh, a lot. and talk, you know, it, it, it talks about Star Wars culture, why it's such a big thing, why it's so influential. Um Talks about why the special editions shouldn't have happened. Talks about the prequels and everything pretty much in between. Uh, really well done documentary. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's for free. Um, it it almost makes you think as if George Lucas saw this documentary and then decided to sell Star Wars to Disney. <laughs> yeah, uh, because a lot of it's just so well said about about especially at the end when they're like, "We want a new trilogy," but. It'll only be good if George Lucas has nothing to do with it. It's basically yeah. a thesis. Um, uh, what did you like? What did you think about it, Brian? I really liked it. I, the, I think the best thing about it was it really exposed the, um, the weird way that George, the weirdness that is George Lucas in that he, more than any other uh, filmmaker from his time. Um, and certainly anybody who's ever been in charge of, of something that a franchise that's that big, he understands the power of the fan and the the value of merchandising and getting your product out there. And, you know, he was always so good about not only allowing but but kind of encouraging um, fan takes on on his on his uh, his movies and his material. Um, and and yet he can't make a good movie and can't understand why we don't like the movies that he, that he's made. It's a, it's a weird, he's a weird guy and he's difficult to understand on that front. And, and I really liked how the, the documentary brought that to the, to light of how, you know, on, on so many levels, this guy is exactly who you want as your, as your leader of a franchise that you love, but then he's also crazy and can't quite, make a good movie to save his life you know um it's a yeah it's very interesting you're, you're it's a, that's a good recommend that's one that people it's should the watch. uh it's the eddie murphy rule right where someone is successful because of their life experience and they reach so much success that they're removed from that life experience and then they're unable to maintain their success sure right? yeah that's a good because way to put it. Yeah. Eddie, eddie yeah. murphy is surrounded by people telling him <laughs> that's funny eddie like norbit you know yeah and you and you need you need people to say that's not a good idea at right. all right and I think, uh, unfortunately, and I don't think it was ever purposeful, and I don't think Lucas is a untalented, or I mean, this is the guy thought of Star Wars. He's certainly right. not untalented, uh, but you know, this is a guy that that uh, I think is surrounded by people who revere him, yeah. and that's a hard way to be creative. Well, and he, and it, one of the points that the film makes is that, and I, I had read this before, but 
um, he had a hard time getting some of his films greenlit in the first place. And part of the whole Star Wars experience for him was that the big benefit beyond obviously making billions and billions and billions of dollars was that no one, no film studio was ever going to tell him no again. And, and I, it's a lofty goal to reach for, but the problem with that is is the the prequels. You know, if no one's ever going to be able to tell you, "Hey, this isn't a good idea," or "This needs to be changed," or whatever, then you're not going to make uh, you're not going to make quality products. That's just a that's a fact. Whether you're filmmaking or making an album or really anything, um, you need just like what you said, Richard. You need people around you that are going to tell you the truth and and force you to listen to them. Um, There's a great a great scene in it. Um, I don't know what it's from, but it's kind of a behind the scenes look at, at when they were making the Phantom Menace. And there's a part where they're, they screen the film for the very first time at, I guess at George Lucas's headquarters or whatever. And George Lucas is sitting in there with the, the producers and everybody and the lights come up and the look on everybody's faces is just so priceless. Um, George Lucas like says, well, I think I might have gone overboard in a couple of places. <laughs> and then it's just them talking about how they can't cut anything out because each scene is integral to the scene that's after it. Yeah. So if you remove one scene, you ruin the movie <laughs> from a story yeah. standpoint. Oh. And the producer is just sitting there dead silent, just staring into space. But it's definitely a good, uh, good documentary if you're a movie fan, a Star Wars fan, or... Just a lover of great documentaries, so I would definitely yeah. check it out. It's uh, it's on Netflix, and uh, you have no excuse at this point. Uh, People versus George Lucas, check it out. Brian Gill, let me ask you this. Where can I find more of your work online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at bgill12, and on my website, thesoapboxoffice.com, for movie reviews and other movie-related shenanigans. Richard Barden. Where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden or online at richardbarden.com or in general, you know, at your local strip club. <laughs> you can find me online at Kent Garrison. You can email the show at madaboutmoviespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. Uh, leave us a comment on um, on iTunes. Please do that. Please leave us a comment on iTunes. Um, it can only make the show better. Uh, I think we've established that it can't get uh, can't get any worse. I think that's all we've got for you today. So until next time, we will see you at the cinema. Bye. See ya. <laughs>